And I, have a, I have a couple of announcements. Um, first thing is, uh, if, you were, if you were a guest with us this morning, we want you to know that we're glad that you're with us. So welcome to Conroe Bible Church. If you would like to get involved and learn more about us, you can do that um, by checking out our website um, or coming and talking to me or Dave or Matt or anybody else around here who has a name tag on or looks like they know something. <laughs> And um, I have uh, just one quick announcement. Our, our women's ministry this month is, is, is hosting a Hearts to Serve event in which they're going to, to do a number of things. One of those is they're going to prepare um, some teacher uh, packages for our friends over at Parmley Elementary. Um, and for them to be able to do that, we as a church are going to pitch in and uh, gather supplies for them. So if you are here regularly, you probably have an email with a list of all the things that you've been invited um, or asked to consider getting. If you don't have that email and would like to participate, please come and talk to me. I would be happy to get you the information, um, and I can do that easily and quickly. Um, otherwise, we've got a, uh, an announcement from Dave. I have a church family announcement uh, from the elder board. We have uh, invited uh, and asked uh, Mike Young to join us on the elder board and uh, per the constitution, the way we do things. And part of that is that we make the announcement and uh, before we finalize every, anything and give uh, the church family two weeks to uh, give any feedback that you would like to do. We prefer that it be private uh, with one of the other elders, with myself or Brad Hayes or Dick Norman or Vess Caperton, uh, but uh, we would welcome your uh, input and feedback uh, on that uh, choice, and uh, that's how we do it for our Constitution. So we're excited about that. It's one of the goals that we told you about is starting uh, more rotations. And um, so we just wanted to make that uh, announcement today, and, we, and we'll start the two-week period this morning. Thank you. Okay, now you guys can stand up with us. And we're going to begin this morning. I'm going to read um, a few verses out of Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at this present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we're going to sing, I stand amazed at that kind of news and that kind of gift for us.
Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy?
Father, we thank you today for the life and the freedom that we have in you. We thank you that as sinners, you loved us enough to send your son for us. So, Father, this morning as we worship and learn, we pray that you would be near us, that you would be honored, that you would draw us close, that you would make us like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And if you're one of our kids, K through 5, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. If you're a guest, please feel free to go with your kiddo and get them checked in and then come back and join us. What words would you like to have placed on your tombstone? If you were asked ahead of time and, and uh, somebody said in your family, hey, we want to know what you want in your tombstone, what would you, what would you put there, especially if it was something that sort of described your life? Well, I've got a couple of uh, illustrations here. The first one is uh, Ludolf Van Kuhlen. He is... Uh, the German mathematician who took pi to 35 decimals. And so he wanted that on his tombstone. Thought our math teachers might like that. And, and then there was Kay. Evidently, Kay did not give out her recipe <laughs> for fudge until she was gone. And then Clay Allison. I love my Western novels, so uh, I had to put a gunfighter up there. He, uh, he said he never killed a man that didn't need killing. <laughs> and uh, Clay Allison died uh, in Pecos uh, when his own wagon ran over him, unfortunately. I prefer uh, this one uh, from Denzel Washington. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. And nobody's going to object. <laughs> Sounds a little bit familiar, right? I couldn't believe, I, 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 get, uh, I get a little tired personally of celebrities using uh, this when they eulogize somebody that uh, I think had nothing to do with Christ. And uh, so I just uh, decided to Google, I think it was 2 Timothy 4, 7 and celebrities, and it actually came up with this, as if Denzel Washington came up with that, uh, that saying. But I want you to know, just in case uh, you're a little confused, Denzel Washington did not come up with that saying. <laughs> in fact, this morning, we're going to look at the man who was given those words by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul himself. And uh, those words are found in 2 Timothy 4, 7. Because you know you've seen those before. And that's what Paul says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. These words were uttered and written down by Paul shortly before his death at the hands of Nero. So these were some of his last words. And I really believe that if somebody had said to him, Paul, they're in prison, what would you like to have on your tombstone? He would have said these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. They're actually part of a three-verse segment in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And I would summarize Paul's thoughts here as his faithfulness to the Lord. In fact, as we've looked at women of faith in May and men of faith in June and here in the first week of July, we have looked at people who were faithful to the Lord as models of faithfulness for us and tried to draw out principles that would help us in our lives as we walk with Jesus. I think Paul's words could be summarized as this, keep the main thing the main thing. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. He's looking back over his life in a form of evaluation, and his 
central idea is that he has remained faithful to all that Jesus has asked of him. And I think that's where it will begin to challenge us in our lives in a great way because it just draws us closer to Jesus. So we want to ask a couple of questions. Have we remained faithful to the calling that Jesus has put on our lives? Have we kept the main thing, the main thing? I love July 4th celebrations, grilling burgers and dogs like we're going to do today. I love to um, see live fireworks uh, while listening to live symphony play the 1812 Overture. Uh, I'm a hand over my heart kind of national anthem kind of guy. And uh, I have moments of immense patriotic pride. Uh, one of those came back in the, the summer of 1980. Uh, our country was uh, suffering under the Iranian hostage crisis. There were 52 Americans and diplomats that were taken hostage at the American embassy in Tehran, in Iran. And the Ayatollah Khomeini uh, got involved and called America the great Satan. And these hostages were held for 444 days. That's a long time. A couple of efforts were made to rescue them uh, by our military, and um, it just kept dragging on. Well, in the summer of 80, I was uh, studying overseas in the Mediterranean basin, and uh, we were aware of the, the kind of the taunts and the jeers of cultures overseas that don't necessarily uh, see America with the same pride that, that we do. And uh, we were aware that uh, some of the uh, people that we dealt with in customs occasionally uh, were, were glad to see uh, America and all its power get its comeuppance. And, um, and so this is kind of all going through our hearts and minds. Uh, the hostages are still there. They'll still be there for another seven months. And uh, we come around this huge bend in the, in the road up in the mountains of Greece. Uh, and, and looking out over the Mediterranean, and there sits an American battleship with the flag flying high. That was an immensely proud, patriotic moment for me. That was like a show of force in the Mediterranean, and, and especially as we had been uh, feeling the thoughts and emotions of some of the people overseas. It was two decades too early, but it would have been a great moment for Toby Keith's courtesy of the red, white, and blue to, to start playing in the buses. So I have my patriotic pride and my moments. And having said that, I want, and I would assume you do as well, and I know that we've done uh, a whole lot more uh, self-analysis and, and uh, looking. And one of the things that makes our country great is the way we uh, begin to correct over time, over the last couple of years. Uh, but having said all of that, uh, what I want us to uh, probe at and to look at today is if our patriotism sometimes gets in the way of forgetting our calling to what Jesus has called us to. Jesus has asked us, he has commissioned us, actually, he didn't ask us, he commissioned us to make disciples, to lead people to Christ and to help them grow in Christ. And he commanded us to love our neighbor. And so as we think about how patriotism could get in the way, sometimes we get confused and, and think that uh, the United States is a theocracy like Israel was designed to be, but we're not. We have uh, an incredible foundation on Judeo-Christian principles that I love, and we are called to advocate as citizens for strong biblical principles like a biblical view of family and pro-life stance from conception to natural death all forms of pro-life and to look at freedom of religion and, and to, to uh, push for that. But then there are a lot of things that I think that we, uh, we cross the line and, and personal uh, policies and personal issues that we favor, uh, we begin to treat as biblical issues. And that's when I think that it also leads us into disruption of relationships with those around us. 
we begin to dehumanize those that may not think the same way we do so that we can think worse of them. We begin to disregard other thoughts. And so not only are we no longer keeping the main thing, the main thing in our calling to Jesus Christ, we're no longer loving our neighbor and our witness as salt and light in this world begins to erode. I know that's a lot of heavy stuff on a great day when we are celebrating our freedoms that have been hard won for us. But I want us just to think biblically uh, as we review our lives and as we uh, think ahead to what God wants in our life, I, I think that you will be pleased with what you discover in your life. And if there is any need for course correction in your life or my life, then let the Spirit uh, bring it about. We're going to look at chapter 4 in, the, in chapter uh, 4 of 2 Timothy. And, and we're going to ask, is there anything that controls our affections but Jesus? Does loving Jesus play out in loving our neighbor? Are we able to firmly advocate for policies and issues with grace and truth? Because that is certainly biblical. I think Paul helps us out by keeping the main thing the main thing. He recenters us so that we can live in this world the way the Lord would call us to. And what we see is he stays faithful to Jesus. So I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy 4, if you're not there already. And in verses 6 through 8, we get the very last words that he has written uh, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing them to the young pastor, Timothy. He's in prison. He's about to uh, lose uh, his life to Nero, but he doesn't live in fear. He doesn't see that. Uh, that way. He sees it as offering his life to the Lord because he's done that. He's presented his life a living sacrifice. In verses 6 through 8, he basically does an evaluation of his life. And I want to read all three verses and then we'll concentrate on the three phrases of verse 7. But in verse 6, he says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. So that's the present. He's ready to go. The drink offering was the last offering made before the sacrifice. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. He's looking over his past with no regrets. And then he looks to the future expectantly. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul looks to the future with expectant hope. These three verses, I think, capture his command to Timothy in verse 5, just a couple of verses above, especially when he evaluates in verse 7. And this is what he says in verse 5, But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I think that verse 7 shows how he fulfills his ministry, how he kept his calling to the Lord, how he responded with a loving obedience to what God had called him to do throughout his life. And just as the Lord commissioned Paul to make disciples, we've got that same commission. Paul's faithfulness to divine tasks made his home going all the sweeter. His wish to depart and be with Jesus would be answered soon. He would be a workman who need not be ashamed. So as we look at Paul's statements and reflect on his life, let's look at these three phrases in verse 7. Starting with, I have fought the good fight. The disciplined life is what we'll call it. Paul was a fan of athletic imagery. He must have hung out at their competitions and at their um, wrestling meets and at their boxing matches because he uses that language throughout his letters. And what we see here is uh, language that could refer to even a wrestling match or a boxing conflict or even a military conflict. But in verse 7, the first phrase is, I have fought the good fight. And this word for fight is that word that we get our English word agony from. So he says, I have agonized over the agony. I have struggled with the agony. I've agonized over the struggle. However you want to put that, he's showing us that serving the Lord has been exhausting physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. He is forthright and blunt 
about what it is like for him to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he made it clear to the church in Corinth in the second letter to Corinth that we have, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, he says this, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. So often we get discouraged in our own walk with Jesus when we face difficulties and we face hardship. But there aren't too many of us that can say with Paul that we have faced these dangers, these difficulties, that we have always faced hunger and sleeplessness. But we can certainly say with Paul that we faced hardship and difficulties. And in a strange way, I hope that brings us some relief as we recognize that the Christian life is no picnic. It's no walk in the park, according to Paul. It is a difficult journey. It can be a hard journey, especially if we try to do it on our own. But even when we're walking with Jesus Christ, we are not on our, we are not on our own in the warfare. And we are not alone in the battle. Jesus is with us. But we are called to live a disciplined life. And what Paul says is, I have fought the good fight. And I want you to notice, we don't always take time to, to look at all the words, but a key word here is just that little article, the. He says, I have fought the good fight, the noble fight, the fight. There are many, many fights that we can take up in this world, right? Many conflicts we can engage in. Many things that we can prioritize and we can consider urgent and go after. But Paul says, I have chosen the good fight, the beautiful fight, literally. He's talking about struggling for the cause of Christ, keeping the main thing the main thing. He wants to keep his commission to make disciples. He wants to keep the command to love our neighbor as himself. Sometimes we create our own conflicts as we, as we fight for comfort and affluence. Sometimes we create our own unnecessary turbulence by pursuing legalism as a structured way to follow Jesus. And, and in other ways, we choose battles that make us look better or give us better standing with others. This phrase gets so overused by people. But what he's saying is, I have stayed in the struggle with Christ. I have remained faithful. I have remained true to what he called me to. That's as simple as it is. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And that's what Paul has modeled for us. So with Paul, we want to we review our own lives. Have we stayed in the struggle for the cause of Christ? Or have we been diverted by all the battles around us and drawn away from our focus and our affection for Christ? Paul's model is that of a disciplined life, which joins our Lord in the good fight of the gospel ministry. Next, Paul points us toward finishing the course laid out for us. And we see the dedicated life in the second phrase of verse 7. Scripture often speaks of our lives as a marathon as a course that is set out before us, a race that is long, that is lifelong. The writer of Hebrews makes that very clear in chapter 12, verse 1, that we have a course to run that is set out before us. It is God who has set that course out before us. The course is unique to each one of us. We all have different pathways to pursue as we follow Jesus. So each path is unique to each of us, but they all have the same finish line. And that is this sanctification process of becoming more like Jesus. Ultimately ending when Jesus calls us home with glorified bodies. But in the process of walking faithfully with Jesus, he is changing us from the inside out. He is transforming us so that we are becoming more like Jesus, one degree of glory at a time. That's what Paul is pointing to here with the dedicated life of running the race. Paul never dropped out of the race. 
He never quit. He stayed with the Lord, and the Lord saw him through. Paul had previously stated his resolve to run this race. He said that in Acts 20, verse 24. He said, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course, same word here, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. He was clear on the race. He was clear on how the Lord was leading him. And he was willing to follow Jesus in pursuit of that course. He didn't want to drop out. He was willing to testify of the grace of God through the gospel. And as he followed that pursuit, the Spirit would transform him into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that the resolve to join Jesus in his work has become a reality at this point. I resolved early on to finish the course. Chapter 4, verse 7 of Timothy. I have finished the course. I've run the race. There are no shortcuts in the Christian life. When Paul says, I have finished the course, we mature by following Jesus into every situation he gives us. So we can embrace our circumstances because Jesus is with us. And as we respond to him, as we follow him, as we rely on his strength and find his grace to be sufficient for our physical strength, our emotional strength, our attitudes, our actions, and our words, as we're guided by his word, then we are able to run the course regardless of the circumstances, regardless how difficult things are. And at that point, he changes us from the inside out. A.W. Tozer addressed the topic of no shortcuts this way. He says, in my creature impatience, I, often caused, I was often caused to wish that there were some way to bring modern Christians into a deeper spiritual life painlessly by short, easy lessons. But such wishes are in vain. No shortcut exists. We don't want to drop out of the race. So we've got to have the mentality of through hikers. Those who take on the great through hikes of our beautiful country, like the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail. There are numerous trails that are hundreds of miles, even a couple thousand miles in our country. And for those that go on those types of hikes that last days and even months, when you prepare for that, you study up and they tell you what kind of equipment to prepare and how to exercise and how to get ready, but they spent a lot of time on the mental preparation. They say that is going to be the hardest thing to do. You've got to decide every day and every moment that you're going to put one foot in front of the other, that you're going to get up after three days of constant rain, strike your tent, pull on your wet socks, Put your backpack on and keep walking. And they said the mental exhaustion is what gets people normally before all the other dangers that are out there. We've got to have that mentality that Paul had back in Acts chapter 20, that we want to resolve to finish the course. We don't want to drop out. And we will by God's grace and by his strength. No matter the opposition, Paul kept pressing on. I'm, I'm reminded of the phrase in Luke chapter 9, verse 52, where we're told that Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. This was that last six months journey as he went to the cross and as he discipled his 12 and all the other followers that came with him. He set his face like flint. He had resolved to do that. And that's what Paul is modeling for us. And that's what he's calling us to do. Spiritually, we're called to walk step by step with Jesus through all the ups and downs of life. I want you to consider some of Paul's difficulties. Five times he received 39 lashes. It was thought then that 40 would kill a man. He was shipwrecked and spent 24 hours on the open sea. He continues in 2 Corinthians 11, 26, and 27. He says, I've been in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers among false brethren. I've been through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold 
and exposure. Our difficulties are a little more first world than Paul's. But we have a commonality with him in that as we run this race, we can trust Jesus completely. We can rely on his strength. We can trust his grace to be sufficient for every need that we have in our attitudes and in our actions. We can finish the course. Such is the dedicated life. No matter the opposition, Paul kept, kept on keeping on. In the last phrase, we see that he was guided by his commitment to God's word. The third phrase I call the doctrinal life. Paul finishes his self-evaluation here at the end of verse 7 with further insight into his personal faithfulness. His faithfulness was to Jesus Christ, and Christ had communicated with him through his word. Christ had given him a body of truth which he was to guard, and Paul remained faithful to that. And so he said, I have kept the faith. As we interpret this passage, we have to look at that word faith and interpret what does that mean when he says, I have kept the faith. Well, there are two primary meanings that come out of a passage like this. And usually you let the context help you translate it. And so one primary meaning would be the body of truth, the deposit of truth, God's word, the counsel of his word that, that the Lord had given to Paul and that God, he was to guard that against false teachers and against those who would deny it and against all the false theologies that would come in. The second Definition of faith here, interpretation of faith, would be personal faithfulness or that of keeping the faith. And when we look at the context of 2 Timothy and even 1 Timothy, both of Paul's letters to this young pastor, we say, well, it's got to be the body of truth because he mentions that on several occasions, especially in chapter 1. He says, you need to guard the body of truth, this which has been given to you. Remain faithful to this body of truth and protect it from those who would deceive others. The article, the, points to a specific faith or body of truth. And that helps us interpret it that way. And I think that is a good way to interpret it in this passage. I also think... It's good in this passage to interpret it as personal faithfulness. Now, you may think I'm crawfishing here, but I said that we do interpret according to the context, right? And so as we look at the context, we see on different occasions that Paul has used this word, faith, for his personal faithfulness, for how he responds to Jesus, how he lives out the body of truth. Paul referred to others as shipwrecked in their faith, those who depart, departed from the faith, those who denied it, and those who strayed from it, all in 1 Timothy. But here in 2 Timothy, we see that he has kept the faith. And there are two reasons that why I would say that. One is because of the context, because throughout 2 Timothy, he has referred to your personal faith and re, re, uh, remaining faithful to God. I would also say that the scholars tell us that in extra-biblical literature of the time, that to say, keep the faith, meant it was a fixed formula for referring to your personal faithfulness. And so that's why I say I think it's perfectly legitimate and necessary, given that these are his last words, to say we're going to remain faithful to the body of truth that God has given us, and we're going to remain faithful to Jesus Christ as we trust him moment by moment. That's what Paul is doing for us here. He is giving us this declaration, I have kept the faith, that we might stay with God.
that we might stay true to his word and that we might stay true to Jesus Christ. He says, I have kept the faith. Using the athletic imagery, keeping the faith on a personal basis would mean playing by the rules. Spiritually, we would say that means trusting Jesus moment by moment, responding to him with a loving obedience so that we see his spirit work in us and through us and transform us as we cooperate with him. And so even as we get here and think about, are we keeping the faith? We want to ask the same question. Are we keeping the main thing, the main thing? As you evaluate your life and I evaluate my life, are we remaining faithful to Jesus and his calling on our lives? He has commissioned us to share the gospel, the simple, clear gospel of grace. And he has commanded us to love our neighbor. And so obviously loving our neighbor plants seeds and draws people into relationships so that we can share the gospel with them. But loving our neighbor is also how we love our enemy. And with those that we disagree or with those that we are against or have different ideas, we can still have the commonality of loving them as those made in the image of God and still be salt and light and perhaps open up more doors down the road. Because those that we're in conflict with or those that we have different ideas with know it and are often amazed that we would still reach out with love toward them. Like Paul, we've got to ask, are we disciplined and dedicated to making disciples with a clear and simple gospel? Are we committed to God's word? Are we keeping the main thing, the main thing? Today is a great day to celebrate our country. And I will. I hope you'll stay and enjoy lunch with us. And especially the freedoms, just the freedom we have to gather here. That is so incredible. Having traveled in countries where uh, God's word and worship is not allowed publicly or at best persecuted. We have great freedoms here. So it's a great day to celebrate our country and those who have given us these freedoms, those who have fought for them. It's a great day to thank our Lord for them. It's also a good day to say, is my ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ? Or have I let anything, including my country, crowd out him? We, we can't let our anything displace our affection for Jesus Christ or we'll be given to the world and its ways. Demas, just three verses later, we're told that he deserted Paul because he fell in love with the world and all that the world had to offer. We want to be a people who, like Paul, can say, I fought the good fight. I struggled for the cause of Christ. I finished the course. I didn't quit on my Savior. I kept walking with him in reliance upon him. And I've kept the faith. I've remained faithful to his word and personally faithful to Jesus. If we want to put that on our tombstone, I think it would be fantastic. Maybe you can come up with a shorter version. But let's be a people that keep the main thing the main thing. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the freedom you've given us to look at your word. Thank you for giving us the teacher through the Holy Spirit to understand your word. And we ask for the grace to not only learn your word, but to live it out. We ask for the grace to respond to you, to give you our ultimate allegiance, and then to enjoy the allegiance to our country that you have given us. We pray that you would give us a love for our neighbor, even in a divided and hostile land that our country has become at times. And we pray for the strength, most of all, the grace to follow you and experience your life through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.
for being here. Don't leave. You cannot leave. <laughs> Hang around and celebrate with us. Our country is 245 years old. And if you were that old, you wouldn't look as good as America does. <laughs> so hang around and celebrate with us.